0: Well, good morning everyone welcome to hawaii church and thank you for joining us in worship and if you have your bible with you would you please take it out and turn to luke luke chapter 1 and verse 39 luke is the third book in the new testament and luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 45 is our passage today as we continue our study of the book of luke Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. And would you please pray with me before we do look at the text? Father, we, we thank you that we can come together as a church family for worship, and, and we ask that, that you will help our worship now in the hearing of your word, that, that by your grace, you would make this text alive to us. And something that occurred uh, 2,000 years ago to people we have never met, that by the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us today. Make us responsive to your word, not merely hearers of it, but livers of it. Would you please save? Uh, Only you can do that. Would you please bring us close to yourself and help us more and more to understand uh, just how much it is that you love us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the opening chapter of the book of Luke, we have two miraculous conceptions. We have two women who could not have children, and yet they are both now pregnant. One Elizabeth, a a woman advanced in years, she's a senior citizen, that after trying to have a baby for decades with her husband, Zechariah, and being incapable of doing so, she has given a son within her own barren body, and she might be in her 60s, 70s, or even more, and she's pregnant. That's not normal. The other is a younger woman, Mary. She's engaged, but she had never been with a man, and so it is impossible uh, that she could actually become pregnant. This young woman is also given a son within her virgin body and that conception by the Holy Spirit. That is not normal either. These are two miracle mothers, and both of these children are children of promise. Prophecy spoke to both of their arrivals to signal a turning point for the nation and really a turning point for the entire world. And both of these children could not have been conceived through ordinary means nor will they be ordinary people one of these children is going to be the forerunner of the messiah he's going to be a great prophet a mouthpiece of god who would turn the hearts of many people back to the lord the other of these children is going to be the messiah the promised one the lord himself truly human and yet truly God, that after 400 years of silence and and four centuries of this distance from God, the angel Gabriel announces the coming birth of both of these children. Luke has opened his book by showing to us that God is interjecting himself into human history for the sake of redemption and for the purpose of salvation. That God's word and his promise given centuries ago, and even promises given since the very first sin was committed, these promises are now coming to fulfillment. And it is in our passage today that their two storylines merge together. That's the, the bigger bird's eye view of what is happening. But on the ground level, we are coming off the heels of a young woman who has just had her world rocked. A young woman who has been told that you're gonna get pregnant by the spirit. A poor, humble girl engaged to a poor, humble man from a town that wouldn't even make it onto some maps. She's just been announced to that the hope of the nation and the hope of the world, the promised one is gonna be your child. That's a lot to swallow. Mary has no idea what's gonna become of her engagement. That might be off. Or what is to become of her reputation as a pregnant teenager or any potential shame that she might bring upon her family, or any future hardship. She has no idea what is to come, and yet she is willing and believing that God's way is somehow higher than my way. She simply responds with a sentence, "'Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. "'Let it be to me according to your word.'" That's the last verse of our last passage. But while Mary is a humble and willing servant of God, she she needs encouragement. While she's exemplary in her trust in Yahweh and she has real belief, she needs to have that belief nurtured. That's what we see in these next verses. We look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary needed to hear that. She needed this confirmation of God's word. And and the primary way that God, in his grace, gives encouragement to Mary is through another believer who has experienced God's hand in her own life as well. The way that the Lord nurtures Mary's own faith is by the faith of another. What we have in these verses is this beautiful fellowship between two believers. Now Mary, upon hearing the news that she's gonna get pregnant, she could have denied that any of this was even a reality. And when she is told that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, she could have scoffed at the idea. Elizabeth is not pregnant old ladies do not get pregnant. And especially her who's been trying to conceive her entire life, that is simply just not true. That's crazy. And therefore, neither am I pregnant. I, I must have been hallucinating. I must have heard wrong. Maybe I was just hearing things. This is all just a dream. And I am going to continue to live my life as if this is not factual at all. Mary could have responded to God's word just like that. Many people respond to God's word just like that, as if what he says is never going to come to fruition. But the text tells us that in those days, Mary arose and went with haste, which means she hurried. It is her immediate reaction to act upon the word of God. And the distance that she has to travel from Nazareth to the hill country of Judah is anywhere from 70 to 80, 90 miles, depending on which town it is, which gives you a lot of time to think. And a ton of opportunities to turn right back around. And a lot of time to change your mind, but she doesn't do that. Mary makes a beeline to the only other person who can relate to her in any kind of way. She makes a trek to another miraculous mother. And right upon entering the home, Elizabeth confirms what the angel Gabriel had told Mary the week prior. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's the very first thing out of Elizabeth's mouth. It's true, Mary. It's all true. Look at my belly. And even this baby jumped right when you entered into my door. It's true. Mary needed to hear that. And as reading Ligan Duncan's treatment of this text who quotes a Maximus of Turin, an early church father. He says, not yet born, John already prophesies. The church fathers used to say that John is the only child who ever turned his mother's womb into a pulpit. But this is exactly the kind of confirmation this young woman needs from other believers, from other people who have the hand of God in their life. Verse 44 tells us that this baby's leap in the womb is a leap for joy. This is not just a heavy weighty thing for you to feel, Mary. This is a joyous occasion that you should celebrate. This is an encouraging, strengthening affirmation that God's word is really true. And so we have a pregnant grandma age person and a pregnant virgin whose lives have been flipped upside down by God's word to them and yet their communion and their fellowship with each other is characterized by this deep joy. These are two people who believe the word of God and have staked their lives upon the promises of God. And though one is in her late teenage years, maybe the other in her 60s or 70s, maybe there is a unity among them as believers, even though they don't have much else in common. I think that's a lesson for us. You know, there are all these specific ministries targeted at a certain demographic, as if that's the only way to do effective ministry. And I'm not against youth ministry. I got saved as a youth in youth ministry. Not against preteen ministry or college ministry or young adult ministry or young marrieds ministry or retirees ministry or mom's group ministry or young singles group ministry. I mean, there's a great value in specific ministries for a target demographic. But I think that sometimes we get this attitude that unless you give me something that looks exactly like me, you're not ministering to me. And I think that sometimes that that kind of demand and expectation really robs us from the beautiful kind of camaraderie of cross-generational unity that spending time with people who are not in your demographic can bring. I mean, can you imagine Elizabeth here in conversation with Mary giving testimony after testimony of decades of knowing God and knowing His faithfulness in her own life, even when God did not give to her what she always wanted? And Mary looking at Elizabeth, looking into the future of how it is that God actually grows his children and just taking it all that in. Can you imagine Elizabeth looking at Mary and knowing the Lord is just beginning his work in you? There's a shared joy in both women centered around God fulfilling his promises and in particular, in the person of Jesus Christ. They don't have to be in the same demographic because they have the most important thing in common. If it is not Jesus Christ who brings us together and just similar interests and age ranges and life stages, if it's more of that than Jesus, then we're not really together. And so I think this text is a lesson to us that that real true fellowship doesn't have to look and function in a certain demographic targeted way that we perhaps have been told it has to function as and that there can be a joyful relationship available within the church, even from those people who do not look like you at all. Now Mary, she's believed. I mean, she has said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. She left her home in Nazareth with haste, traveled for days, 70, 80, maybe 90 miles, just to get to Elizabeth. She has faith, no one is denying that. But upon their meeting and their fellowship, and fellowship is not just eating food together and watching the game. Fellowship here is centered around the purposes of God and is experienced by believers who trust in him and his word. Upon their meeting and their fellowship, this Mary who already has faith, her faith skyrockets with this kind of confirmation. I mean, the strength of her belief explodes when there is another believer with her. And we will see next weekend how that kind of faith actually bursts forth into song. She writes a beautiful song about what God is doing. The crockpot of that song is Elizabeth and Mary's fellowship with each other. Elizabeth nurtures that in her. This is believer-believer interaction which confirms and strengthens the faith we already have and fuels more worship. We need Christian fellowship, brothers and sisters. This togetherness given to Mary and to Elizabeth is, is God's gracious gift to encourage their faiths. You know, there have been countless times in my life where I've, I've wavered. Man, I should just quit. Is this really true? Can I actually live like this? You, you lose perspective sometimes. Or should I just ignore it and, and get on with my life? It seems like that's gonna be a lot easier. And by the providence of God, another believer comes into my life and just reaffirms, this is true. This is absolutely true, it is. Or or I hear an account of how God is working in the life of this person or in that person, and it kind of snaps you right back out of your doubts. Other times, I've fallen into sin, and and the the thing with sin, it's so deceptive. And deception can be so subtle. Those who are under its power don't know they are deceived. They don't know that they're even in danger. And you can get to the point where you can't really see that straight. And sin whispers into your ear to believe that Christianity is really restrictive rather than freeing, isn't it? And sin feels freeing rather than enslaving, doesn't it? And you start to believe that, and then by the grace of God, you can get woken right out of that spiritual haze by another Christian who knows what's going on in your life. We need these spiritual relationships. As strong as Mary has proven herself to be in the passage before us, this passage right here is a beautiful picture of how one person's faith can encourage another person's faith. Mary's not supposed to be a Rambo or, or a John Wick or a John Wayne, depending on what generation you are. But we're not meant to live in this independent isolation where we watch church online or come in late and leave early and never get to know anybody. And if you find yourself settling into this kind of independent Christianity, and especially more now during this time of COVID, you're in danger. There's a danger, whether it feels like it's dangerous or not, whether it feels like it's safe, it's not safe. The people who are often most in spiritual danger are those who are not even aware that they are in danger. And the people who know they are in danger and they respond the the spirit has already begun to work in their soul to alert them to the predicament that they are in if you do not have ongoing relationships like the one that we see in this text i want to tell you you're in a spot that you shouldn't be in and i want to encourage you that you have to make a change in your life start to get to know people at church pray pray to god give me one friend Give me one Christian friend that I can really talk about spiritual things with that loves me and I love them. You know, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you that you have to come and be a part of the church and enter into spiritual relationships, not just physically be around church people but actually bring those relationships, the center of that more and more, over to what God is doing and what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ and how that impacts you today and impacts your life in the future and in the decisions that you have to make. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We gotta rub against each other, even if there's friction. That has always been the case. The faith is not for lone rangers. J.C. Ryle writes, First, let us seek the face of God. Then let us seek the face of God's friends. If we did this more and were more careful about the company we keep, we would oftener know what it is to feel filled with the Holy Spirit. We should always regard communion with other believers as an imminent means of grace. Mary and Elizabeth are not tied just because they're related to each other. They are tightly knit because of what God has done and what he is doing in their lives for his glory and they could talk about it. And it is the utter kindness of God to provide a believing friend who can relate to Mary and speak to Mary and to do that with joy and to give to her a perspective that she might not have already had. I think, again, that Mary needed this. She's just been given a... A big lot of information that's heavy upon her. She needed this. We all need this. And she needed to hear that this call from God to bear this child is not only cost, Mary not just my engagement. My plan for my life is changed. My parents' approval is in danger. My towns, blah, blah, blah. My utter potential shame, my loss of future earnings is not only cost, but when she sees Elizabeth and hears a very voice of the Holy Spirit through her lips, it's no longer cost, 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 but joy, joy, joy. Blessed are you among women. This is a good thing. This is a time for celebration. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And we need each other to remind ourselves that the cross we bear for Christ is not only cost, 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 this is making stuff complicated in my life, but great, great joy that we are counted worthy to bear what Christ bore upon his own back. Now, we'll come back to the Holy Spirit in a moment, but it's important to know that Elizabeth, by the Holy Spirit, she seems to already know about Mary and already know about Jesus before Mary could even say a word. And what an encouragement for Mary. I just walked in the door and you already know. What a further indication. Seeing with her own eyes this pregnant senior citizen and hearing with her very own ears a revelation of the Spirit that God's promises are definitely true. And who is it that authors this communion? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. God speaks through Elizabeth to encourage Mary in the moment she needed it most. Spirit-filled fellowship is believers celebrating and rejoicing and believing in the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus. Even here, before that work is fully realized, you can still worship and commune for things that are yet to come. And so the very encouragement that Mary needed is provided through another believer who has experienced the same work of God in her own life. We continue in verse 43, and and Elizabeth says there, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There is a beautiful faith and humility in Elizabeth in our passage, and This is right after the beautiful faith and humility of Mary in our last passage. The Bible is not shy about putting forth strong, humble, godly women as exemplary for all believers. The Bible is not shy about holding godly women as an example for us as a church. And these women are not trying to compete with each other, nor are they trying to outdo each other. You know, one thing I notice between some parents is this subtle competitiveness between them. Oh, my baby sat up at five months. Oh, yeah, my baby's crawling at five months. How about that? My child honor student, look at my bumper sticker on the back of my car. Oh, yeah, my kid made varsity as a freshman. Or Some parents brag about how bad their kids are to compete for sympathy sometimes. There's often an extension of our own pride when we compare our children to another person's children. But in these verses, we see this self-forgetfulness in Elizabeth. I mean, she could brag. I'm the oldest mom in Israel. I'm the champ. Miraculous conception before your miraculous conception. Mute husband for nine months. I'm living the life but instead, her, her godliness is on display. After blessing Mary, the very next thought she expresses in verse 43 is, is, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is looking at a pregnant teenager and contemplating the grace of God that I get to be even in the same room as a mother of Jesus, who she is unafraid to call her Lord. She knows God's grace upon you, Mary, is greater Your child is greater. And I consider that as a gracious opportunity to be part of rather than a person that I have to compete with. Elizabeth could have easily said, Mary, you're here. Let me tell you what happened to us six months ago. Look at me. Look at how much I'm showing. I've waited my whole life for this. The angel Gabriel Gabriel told me that this baby is going to be great before the Lord. This is my child, my miracle. This is the future of my son. She doesn't do that. She makes Mary the focus, and Elizabeth makes Mary's child the focus as well to the point where she is unashamed to proclaim that even her miracle baby is leaping for joy at a different baby. Because your son's gonna be greater than my son. And I'm honored and I'm humbled that I could share a room with you and with him. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit Now we've seen the Holy Spirit all over the book of Luke in the first chapter. John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, verse 15. Jesus' conception is by the Holy Spirit, verse 35, which makes him holy. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 41, who impels her to proclaim just how blessed Mary is for bearing Jesus. The first chapter of Luke, we get to learn a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna borrow from John Piper, who says this of the Holy Spirit. He says, his ministry is to point away from himself to the wonder of God the Son and God the Father. Being filled with the Spirit means being filled with love for Christ. When Jesus promised the Spirit in John 16, 14, he said, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is shy. He is self-effacing. When we look towards him, he steps back and pushes forward Jesus Christ. Therefore, in seeking to be filled and empowered by the Spirit, we must pursue him indirectly. We must look to the wonder of Christ. If we look away from Jesus and seek the Spirit and his power directly, we will end up in the mire of our own subjective emotions. The Spirit does not reveal himself. The Spirit reveals Christ. The fullness of the Spirit is a fullness that He gives as we gaze on Christ. The power of the Spirit is the power we feel in the presence of Christ. The joy of the Spirit is the joy we feel from the promises of Christ. Devote yourself to seeing and feeling the grandeur of the love of God in Jesus Christ, and you will be so in harmony with the Holy Spirit that His power will flow mightily in your life. Christian spiritual experience is not a vague religious emotion. It is an emotion with objective content, and that content is Jesus Christ. The shy member of the Trinity does mighty work, but he never puts himself in the limelight. You might say he is the limelight that puts the attributes of God the Father and the person of Christ into sharp relief. The Holy Spirit in the opening chapter of Luke is all about jesus christ which is why when you drive by churches and see banners about the holy spirit conference or spiritual revival on this weekend as if we can schedule god's revival on a calendar hope you show up god but when you see that and i know i beat this drum a lot but i i think it's so important when you see the supposed ministry of the holy spirit in some kind of angelic tongues, and holy laughter, or gold teeth, or making this leg longer than that leg, or miraculous healings that can't be verified, or whatever it is that is out there. And there's hardly a mention of Jesus at all, as if the Spirit is completely separated from Jesus Christ. Beware. The Holy Spirit is not ostentatious like that. I mean, look at Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit right here. Blessed are you, Mary. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The Spirit-filled person is not trying to shine the spotlight on herself, but upon Jesus Christ. And even her child from the womb, he leaps with joy at what, his own ministry? I can't wait to be born. John the Baptist, six months in utero, filled with the Holy Spirit, leaps for joy at someone else's presence. And that's going to be the entire theme of John the Baptist spirit-filled ministry. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't speak in any tongues. But the entirety of his life is he must increase and I must decrease. I am not worthy to untie the straps of the sandals of the one who comes after me. That kind of believing humility that wants a spotlight on Jesus more and more than anything else is the mark of the Holy Spirit's ministry upon the soul. Matthew Henry, he writes, note those that are filled with the Holy Ghost have low thoughts of their own merits and high thoughts of God's favors. That is the biggest test, I think, of who is really spirit-filled and who is not. And so we have, in Elizabeth's response, joy and praise and blessedness, not because of her own personal life and self centered fulfillment or maximizing her potential, but we have this godly humility and a deeper joy in recognizing her Lord, and just like the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit finds greater joy in letting the Father and the Son have the focus, so it is with a Spirit-filled mom and Spirit-filled son in utero, praise and adoration for the Christ. Greater joy in the spotlight on Him rather than on us. Spirit-filled people, their focus is always on God rather than upon themselves. We continue in verse 45. Elizabeth says there, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's not only that Mary had heard the Word of God, it's not only that Mary is carrying in her body Jesus the Christ, but Mary is blessed because she believes that this is all true. She believes God's Word. Mary has a faith and a trust in what she has heard. That's why she's blessed. And brothers and sisters, this principle is not only for Mary, but this is for all of us. Every single one of us who believes God, not just hears God, who believes God and takes him at his word, that is the blessed person. Do you believe? That's the most important question for any of us. Do you believe that God has sent his son by the Spirit, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to be totally like us and being truly human and totally unlike us and being utterly, wholly righteous and sin-free in a way that no son of Adam could be? Do you believe that our greatest problem in this life is not financial or a communication issue in marriage or health-related or drama with this person or that person, that that's not our greatest problem in this life, but our greatest problem in this life is that our sin has separated us from knowing God. Do you believe that God has come to show us he has to come to us because we can't and we don't come to him? That's how sin hardened our hearts have been. Do you believe that God gave to the world Jesus to bear our sin, to carry our shame, to endure the wrath of God against our unrighteousness upon himself. Do you only hear it or do you actually believe it? Do you believe that God can forgive you? Even the stuff that no one knows about you. And that's just because, well, sin's not a big deal. I'm just gonna brush it under the rug. Jesus hanging bloody upon the cross shows us how big of a deal sin is to God. But do you believe that God can forgive you even the worst sins you've ever committed, because Jesus Christ literally paid it all. Do you believe that God loves you that much? That his entire motive was not to get something from you, but to give something to you, to give himself to you. That the Lord of heaven and earth wants to serve you, that he might be glorified. And and that's not in a selfish way, in the way that we're selfish, and we like to glorify ourselves. But that something about his perfect nature is magnified and communicated, namely his love. His love is magnified in this kind of forgiveness, in this kind of self-sacrifice, in this kind of atonement. Do you really believe it? Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb, but his love is stronger than even death that he bursts forth from the grave, he defeats death and destroys the power of sin and proves that my offering of my life is sufficient to bring us near to God. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the ascension into heaven where he intercedes for us even now? That Jesus ministers to us even right now as this perfect high priest who is so sympathetic to our weaknesses who is so well versed in every kind of temptation that we have to face on this world. That Jesus intercedes on our behalf even now and that he will return to us very soon to take us to be with him. Do you believe it? Do you believe that living for him is way more freeing and way more joyous and way more satisfying than living for yourself? Do you believe or do you just hear? If you really believe, then you are blessed and you should be greatly encouraged by passages such as these. And your life will be utterly different than from what it was before you ever believed this. Matthew Henry says, believing souls are blessed souls. And this text is not only about Mary, this text is really a paradigm about all of us who will believe. Jesus later in Luke eleven twenty seven, 27, there's a woman in the crowd, obvious witness of Jesus's ministry his excitement, his popularity, and she cries out from the crowd, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Subtitle, your mom must be proud. She's a blessed woman. She's so lucky. But Jesus says in response, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's a description of believers. We hear it we believe it, we keep it. And that is a greater question of this passage for us at the ground level in real life. Do we really believe the word of God? Or do we merely hear it and live as if it were not true at all? You know, maybe after church, that could be a good discussion point on the drive home or over lunch. How do we know we really believe this? Do we? How do we become blessed by God? Now, I want to make one quick point before we close. We have in the opening chapter of Luke, we have two women who believe and have a godly faith, a beautiful humility, a trusting strength, and then we have one man named Zachariah who can't even talk because of his doubt. The two women are better than the one guy in this chapter, and I want to encourage the women in our church because we often hear about the Pauls and the Daniels and the Davids and the Peters, but... But the faith of the women in the Bible is extraordinary and God wants us to see that. From the very beginning of Luke's book where God interjects himself into human history for the sake of redemption and salvation, we have these two females who stand out as being ready and willing even when the priest Zechariah was not. Be encouraged that God celebrates the strong faith of women you know, I, I'm watching commercials nowadays and, and it's like society now is defining women's potential. You can't be a true woman unless you could do everything a man can do. That's not true. Imagine telling Elizabeth, you know what? We get it, you're, you're holy. Mary, we get it, you're holy. But until you become a priest, you're not really all that holy. You're not really all that godly. That's not true. Mary and Elizabeth are better than the priest Zechariah. But that doesn't mean that they have to become a priest to be godly. What we believe the Bible teaches us is this thing called complementarianism. That God creates male and female to be equal in dignity, in value, in their representation of the image of God. They are equal, but God creates them differently. And they're going to have different roles in the church and in the family. But they complement each other. That the differences in a woman and the differences in a man, that when they come together, it makes them stronger together. Equal but different. Elizabeth does not have to become a priest to prove her worth. And a woman does not have to become a pastor to prove her worth either. We just trust God's word and do what it says. You know, there's a lot of uh, Bible commentators out there who wanna paint this picture of women in the first century as being kind of naive and uneducated and incapable of great theological thought. That's why they weren't pastors in the first century, because they weren't able. Look at Mary and look at Elizabeth. The only reason why there were not female pastors in the first century is not because they weren't godly, but it's because the church trusted in God's design. And when the Bible says, this person should be this, and this person should be that, they believed God and took him at his word. One was not better than the other, but together they complemented each other. You know, half our staff is is women, and when we get together and and we talk about the church and and think about what we have to do, there's a complementary nature to the ministry at hand, and we absolutely need each other. We need each other and we celebrate our differences instead of trying to make us all homogenous. We are equal yet different. We are called to do much of the same things, and yet we are also called to do different things as well. But the worship of the two women in our text should be celebrated with all of our might, and it should be celebrated because it's really God behind these women who should be praised with all that we have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and... And we ask that you'd help us believe it and not merely hear it. We thank you that you decided to save us by the birth of a child, that the seed of the woman would really crush the head of the serpent. We pray for our church that you would stimulate already now and even after the service, as uncomfortable as it may seem, that you would stimulate deeper spiritual relationships, that we might have greater unity and camaraderie, that we might spur each other on to love and to good works, that we would have great humility and and, and fellowship. We pray for our world that that you would save. Even reading a text like this, we pray against uh, the, the industry of abortion, something like 60 million babies killed in our nation. And your very word shows us here, a child's dignity and life and personhood. Would you give us a passion for that as well? Make us a people who confess with Elizabeth. Why? Help us marvel like she did. Why is it granted to us? Why is Jesus Christ granted to us? Make make that joyous, humble worship characteristic of your church here in Hawaii. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen.